Well, hello, y'all. You guys didn't have anything better. <laughs> uh, my name is John, and um, I am an alcoholic. You guys that are new, this is what one looks like. Um, my last drink of alcohol was April 18th, 1996. My home group is called an AA group. Um, we believe in the long form of the third tradition. And, uh, as you guys read earlier. Um, my group meets at 6 a.m. on Friday mornings at 1555 Race Street. And you really got to want to be there. We don't have a lot of dead wood in our group. And uh, as Tom said, we, uh, we go to Pete's Kitchen. And Pete's Kitchen, by the way, hadn't closed its doors since 1942 when they opened. They're open 24-7, which means this is one of the places I used to eat at about 3 o'clock in the morning. When I was <laughs> um, we're about a half block off Colfax for people that have been in Denver. It's a, it's a strange street. Um, I don't know what... Um, I don't know what the hell I'm going to say here tonight, but uh, what my um, my sponsor taught me is that I was supposed to share with you in a general way um, what happened or what I was like, what happened, and what I'm like now. So I try to do that, and I don't know that I can really do it in a uh, a linear format. And and uh, I don't know, maybe tonight I won't. Um, I'll give you one little thing from when I was a kid. This is one of my earliest memories. I'm, I'm being honest with you. I was probably five. And what had happened was um, my mom and dad had divorced. I, I was born, by the way, in Kima, Texas. I don't know if you guys know the beautiful, thriving metropolis of Kima. Kima is on Galveston Bay. It's actually a very high-end place. Now, when I was a kid, it was, it was full of commercial fishermen and, and crew boats and and oyster dredgers and stuff. It wasn't. It wasn't a real high end place. But anyway, I was born in Kima, Texas, and and um, and my mom divorced my dad when I was three, and went home to Mama to San Antonio uh, in '57. Fire engine red Ford wagon with a sewing machine in the back, and me and my brother. And my dad quit his job. He was a game warden, um, and he quit his job and and followed her to San Antonio to woo her back, and he did. Uh, and they remarried when I was five to each other. Uh, and that lasted till I was about eight. And one of my earliest memories is, um, uh, I think what, what was wrong was the spaghetti sauce sucked. And uh, my dad threw the table on top of my mom and started throwing dishes. And I went out the front door because that was closest. And my brother was caught. He was eight years older than me, and he was also the one that tried to calm my dad down. And, and my mom went out the back door, and I went under the front porch and was hugging our collie um, as my mom came down the driveway and called me over, holding her broken arm. He broke it with a sugar bowl. Now, uh, the reason I, I tell you that, that, it wasn't that just he was an angry man, because he wasn't really an angry man except when he drank. Uh, he was one of the most patient kind Absolutely the most intelligent man I've ever known in my life. He had a, he had a, a, a photographic memory, and uh, he would speed read. And he, he could read a, a book, you know, in about 12 minutes, and then you could say, what's on 67, and he'd quote it to you. 
And I never knew he was an alcoholic. I just knew that my daddy drank too much. That's what they told me. And the reason I just told you that story is not, it's, uh, all it is is to let you know that I never wanted to be an alcoholic. It wasn't on my to-do list, you know. Um, I, was, I, I went on to become a Boy Scout. I was trustworthy, loyal, helpful, friendly, courteous, kind, obedient, cheerful, thrifty, brave, clean, and loving. I tried. I worked on scout camp staff two summers. I was three merit badges away from Eagle when I found, uh, who, I found out you could have sex with someone else in the room, for one thing. And I found, Come on, you did too. <laughs> I found sex, drugs, and rock and roll. And I was off to the races at 15 years old. 1968. Um, a little bit about... I don't want to spend a lot of time with all that crap. I, I was a little rock and roller. I just, uh, my brother was eight years older than me. An incredible musician. Uh, by the way, alcoholism took him at 38 years old. He went out in the, the garage and blew his brains out. Had a wife and two kids and a, a lawyer, wonderful. Uh, and no problems. And uh, I out, I've outlived him. Uh, my uh, dad died in a head-on car wreck at 49 years old. Drunk. I've outlived him so far. Um, alcoholism's decimated my family. Completely decimated it. Uh, going to uncles, cousins, I mean, you know. You know I, and I tell you that to, to you folks that are new, uh, if you've got alcoholism, I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. It's a terrible thing. You may go to some other meetings and they're going to tell you some bullshit. They're going to say some things like, uh, if you're here, you're in the right place. How the fuck do you know? You just wandered in there maybe. Um, <laughs> they're going to tell you that they're going to love you till you love yourself. That ain't going to work. They're going to tell you all kinds of stuff. They're going to tell you just don't drink and go to meetings. If I could do that, I wouldn't need the damn meetings. You know? <laughs> That's the problem here. I can't remember that I wasn't going to drink. Uh, you're going to hear a lot of stuff in meetings that sadly... Uh, is pure D bullshit, and it's real dangerous bullshit if you're an alcoholic like me. Uh, one of the, you know, think the drink through. <coughs> what good is that? That's the problem. That's the problem. Um, any case, I, uh, I, I was a little, I became a little rock and roller because of my brother. My brother decided when he was 16 to learn guitar, he could play anything when he picked it up. I was eight, he was eight years older than I. And we were, he was, suddenly we were going to be the new Everly Brothers, you know. So at eight, I'm trying to learn guitar. And I was never the, had the talent my brother did, but I kept after it. By the time I was about 15, you know, I, I had a little junior high band, and we'd done surf music and stuff. And then, uh, you know, like I said, I, the entire country turned on in 1968, from what I could see around me. And uh, I'm living in uh, San Antonio and... Uh, gotten a, a band and just kept going from there. Uh, essentially on the road from the, the summer I, I was 15 for the next uh, two years with a band. And then went through a, uh, that band broke up and reformed without me. Uh, and then the next uh, three bands fired me. The last fellow I played for in Austin, Texas. I, I was exiled to Austin <coughs> in the midst of that. I was kicked out of school in San Antonio. 
um, the fellow that I worked for, uh, I remember what he said. He said, John, you're really good, but you just can't stay sober for the second set. And I remember what I thought. It was like, what are you talking about? That's crazy. And I was 19. Uh, stuff fell apart very quickly for me. I, I made a little road trip to change my situation because it was so bad in Austin. And I needed to get away from all those people and came to Colorado. I left Austin October 20th of 1972. And October 26th, I was sitting in San Juan County Jail in Silverton, Colorado with nine felonies on my ass. 19 years old, and I had a DA shaking his finger in my face telling me I was facing 45 to 360 years in the Colorado State Penitentiary. And it started out with a, a bottle of bourbon and a snowball fight in the town square in Lake City, Colorado. And it just sort of snowballed. <laughs> <laughs> I, you know, I don't know what happened. It just, it, you know, bad stuff happened. Um, I, I went on through life, and I tried. I've always wanted to be a go-to guy. I, I'm serious. I always wanted to be the Boy Scout. And uh, I, I got out of jail, and I went tried to go to school again, and I met a wonderful, wonderful woman. Uh, we ended up getting married in 1977. She lived in Denver. I, I came to Denver, Colorado. I'd been living in Southern Colorado. And uh, we had a beautiful little girl in 1978. Uh, and I tried to do the right thing. I, you know, I remember promising her when we got married that I'd quit shooting dope. And I pretty much did. I mean, I pretty much did. Uh, there we, I slipped a little bit. And, um, hey, I want to touch on something just for a minute, just for a minute, since I heard so many people when they were introducing themselves as new, as uh, alcoholics and addicts. Uh, I was an ANDA for uh, about 14 months here. Alcoholic ANDA, addict, a slash. Uh, I even tried to go to some NA meetings. Um, I found out that most of the people in NA were much younger than I. Uh, they had a lot of tats. They had a lot of metal hanging out of them all over the place. <laughs> and I'd done more dope than they'd ever freaking seen. <laughs> I graduated from A.M. McCallum High School in Austin, Texas in 1971. Pure hotbed of sobriety, you know. Um, I thought I'd missed ecstasy, and I was a little jealous. And then I figured out we called it MDA. Um, I am an alcoholic who's powerless over drugs. That's weird. Huh? My sponsor helped me find that out by going through the Big Book of Alcoholics Anonymous. And you, you know, you want to know the truth of it? That little bit about powerless over drugs, it doesn't have a shitting thing to do with us being here tonight. If I'm to stand up and say to you. My name is John, and I'm an alcoholic, and I'm powerless over drugs. That's just the same as me standing up and saying, My name is John, I'm an alcoholic, and I have hazel eyes. I'm 6'3". It has nothing to do with Alcoholics Anonymous. I'm sorry if you want to continue to do that and continue to separate yourself. Rock on until you can get straight. But it has nothing to do with what we meet for. This is a meeting of Alcoholics Anonymous. It is open to all who suffer from alcoholism. When they wrote that third tradition, they were talking about inclusivity, not exclusivity. They wanted it to be open to all who suffer from alcoholism, whether they're man, woman, green, purple, whatever. So you can have anything in the world going on if you're alcoholic, you belong here. 
But we don't need to know. I'm sorry, we don't need to know. I mean, it's, it has nothing to do with it. We meet here on the ground of alcoholism. Um, so I pissed half of you off. I don't care. Um, <laughs> I told you I did that for 14 months. Let's see. Maybe I ought to get a little groundwork for that. My longest period of sobriety between age 13 and 43 years was seven months. Now remember I told you I was in, I was in jail for a while. Hey, we had, we had five gallons of Jack go off over the officer's kitchen. You know, I don't know anybody's been in jail. You've been in, there, there's ways to get loaded in jail. Uh, that sobriety came because I had had a DUI with a company truck. Bump it, I bumped mirrors with a Denver public school bus. And, and I wasn't drunk. I wasn't drunk. And uh, the, this, this motorcycle cop you know, was right there. I pulled over and he came up and he said, didn't you see that school bus? And I said, yeah, didn't you see her crawl her fucking lane? And he said, have you been drinking? Well, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Let's talk about that because this is an interesting little part of, of this whole deal. That night, <clears throat> that afternoon, I've been running all around town with a one-ton truck, picking up equipment and dropping it off for the company I worked for. Last stop was over to University Hospital in Denver. It's over uh, 9th and Colorado, and just a, a few blocks around the corner on Colfax was a bar I was a regular at, and I played fantasy football. Okay, I get done at 4 o'clock, and there's nothing more to do. I've called into my shop, nothing more to do. So I stopped my bastions to pick up my fantasy football results. It's a Tuesday night, right? I walk in. They said, can we get you a drink? No, no, no. I've got a company truck out there. I, I mean, no. I, I swear I must have turned down a drink about five or six times. Some point in there, I took a drink. I had six Molson Ices. I know because I had to go pay my tab, and you always got a twofer, and I had five on the tab. The, the day after my DUI. What happened there? This book calls that a strange mental blank spot. I had walked in there with absolutely no intention of having a drink. I knew it would be the stupidest thing in the world to do. I'm driving a company truck. I just want to get the fantasy results and we'll argue and make bets and all that and I'll leave. But I don't. I have six beers. And I swear to God, I wasn't drunk. I blew point one two nine, but I wasn't drunk. I'm, I'm, I'm one of those guys who drove around it in threes, you know. Just get me, get me to the truck, and I'll be all right. You know? Come on, can you help me get the key in the lock? Anyway, um, it's true. Head out the window, one eye closed. You know? Um. I just wanted to point that out, that when I got that DUI that time, I was suffering from one of these things that, that occurs to us. Now, I, uh, I, they, I was ordered into nine months of level two education and therapy, and they were making me pee in the cup. Um, first every week, there's another 12 bucks, and then every other week, and then they stopped. And... Um, I remember leaving that place one night and stopping and buying a six-pack of beer. And I had two. 
<laughs> now, I don't know about you guys, but what my head said was, we're making too big a deal out of this. This ain't the problem. I didn't think it, it ain't that big a problem. I tell you guys, within about three weeks, there's a 12-pack and a pint of schnapps, and with about another three weeks later, I finished that, thankfully, that thing that I had to do for the probation. And I'm drinking piss-warm vodka, and I can't stay sober a day. And I was drinking harder and faster than I'd ever drank in my life. And I, my head was swimming. I was going, damn. Now, that went on for almost two years. I didn't draw a sober breath. It got to where I could only, I could go about four, four and a half hours, and I needed, I really needed a drink. I was starting to shake on it. I managed to keep a job. Now all this time, my poor wife, um, you know, it's hard being an alcoholic. It really is. Not everybody has what it takes. You have to be willing to take the love of everyone that cares for you and spit it right back in their face break their hearts, and then build up their hopes and dreams again. It's going to be different this time, honey, I mean it. And we mean it, and then break them again. So I've been doing that and doing that and doing that. And I don't know what it was that happened on Thursday, April 18, 1996. I, I did not want to drink anymore. I hadn't wanted to drink for a whole while, but I couldn't stop drinking. And I tell you, I was blessed with this guy in my life. This this was my brother-in-law, and I we were drinking buddies. And I love drinking with Mark. God bless him. I love drinking with him. He was a sloppy drunk. I always look good next to him. You know? <laughs> and you know, come on, Mark. Uh, there's some barf on you. you know? <laughs> Put your shirt tail in. We're going in this place. And um, <laughs> what had happened is about five years before that, he had sobered up on me. His dad had drug him off to a spin dry up in Estes Park called uh, Harmony House. And he'd gone to AA and uh, got a life. He got a wife. He got a little company. And meanwhile, I'm going in the tail end of all this. And it's just getting darker and darker and darker until... Those last two years I'm telling you about. My daughter is scared of me. Uh, she will, she would either go in a room or leave. She spent a lot of time in her girlfriend's house. Uh, my wife absolutely wouldn't talk to me. Um, I still had a job by the skin of my teeth because we're some talented people. We really are. We, we, you find some of us really good at stuff we do, and I was really good at what I did. And they tried to keep me. I'm working in the same company that I got the DUI at, in the company truck. <laughs> right? He, I, th I thought I was fired. I found out that, you know, I called my boss and said, hey, I got a DUI in the company truck. He goes, oh, shit, let me call George. He calls back. George doesn't think we can save you. Next day he says, um, you need to get up the Fort Collins where the company was, Dan, the owner, wants to talk to you. He's scared he's going to lose you. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you know. <laughs> oh, 
smile if things are looking up. <laughs> I'm driving a $300 piece of shit rabbit with the plates off the $600 keeper. I lost the hood off of that one night coming across I-25 about 11 o'clock at night. It kept, it kept popping up, and that night it, boom, went over the top. Hey, I ain't stupid. I'm an alcoholic. I ain't stopping at 11 o'clock at night for the hood off a $300 car. <laughs> um, house is falling down around my ears. Headed into foreclosure the second time, and as I said, my wife isn't talking to me. My daughter's scaring me. I told all my friends that it said, have you ever had anybody say to you, man, you ought to do something about your drinking. You ought to lighten up. I don't know what how you responded. My response was, why don't you mind your own fucking business and leave me the fuck alone? And they did. They all did. Uh, loneliness such as few know. <coughs> Thursday afternoon. April 18th, 1996, I made it home from work without drinking. God, that was hard. It was hard. I called up Mark, my brother-in-law, and I left a message, and I made a serious mistake. I told him I thought I needed to go to one of those meetings. Now, I'd avoided you A and A'ers. I'd never been to a meeting of A and A. I had scammed. I... the. The U.S. government labeled me a severe character disorder. The uh, Colorado Department of Corrections labeled me with a borderline personality with a high expediency factor. <laughs> you guys know what that one is. You all fucking kind of <laughs> That means you want it all and you want it right now. <laughs> um... <laughs> I do anything to hide my alcoholism from you because don't take that from me. Let me play whatever game. Tell me what you, what I got. Let me play the game and I'll, I'll I'll be good. And I would. I'd be good as long as you're watching me. Um, so here I am. You know the big book set has a word about this. It says faced by a self-imposed crisis, we could no longer postpone or evade. Oh shit! I did this to myself. That's the first thing there. And we can't postpone or evade it anymore. Here I am. I can't go on drinking. I can't do it. And I can't quit drinking. Well, Mark called me back about 7. And uh, I was drunk. Because I just can't go that long. I met him, and I used to take him over to this little meeting. Cause when his, his, his sister, you know, I married his sister. They'd get on his case, and he, they, I'd drag him over to A&A. &A bitching at him for a little bit. Um, I tell you what, I felt something there even that first night. I, I don't know what it was, but uh, I felt something. I felt like, um, I've heard it described as like I was home. Or I just felt like there was some spirit there. And I couldn't have told you that. And in fact, I was, I was pretty much uh, uh, pretty belligerent anyway. I a friend told me one year later at my first anniversary, he said, you know, we were holding hands your first meeting that Thursday night. And after we said the Lord's Prayer, he turned to me and he said, well, that was a good meeting, wasn't it? And I said, well, they're entitled to their fucking opinion. That's, that's what I thought. Uh, I went home and uh, on the way I bought a bottle. And... Um, 
blanket that night, and I woke up the next morning really sick. And I called in sick to work. It's Friday, April 19th. And uh, I did something I do not recommend to anyone. I shook and sweated and crawled out of my skin for about three days in my bed. And uh, that Friday morning, I think I looked at my life and the most honestly I've ever looked at my life. And all the lies were gone. I think the last one I had was I'm only hurting myself. You guys got that one going? Yeah. It's a fucking lie, dude. <laughs> <laughs> that vodka I tried to pour down my throat splashed on everybody around me. I broke my mom's heart for years. Never understanding the depth. The phone would ring at night and she would wonder what was... Is he dead tonight? Um, I went back to that A&A place on Monday night, on Tuesday night, Wednesday night, Thursday night, Friday night, and all day Saturday and all day Sunday for months and months and months. I didn't know what... I, I, <laughs> I weighed 160 pounds. <coughs> When I got here, I weigh a little more. <laughs> I couldn't hold a coffee cup with two hands. I couldn't understand a thing you people said. You sounded like Charlie Brown's teacher. And I wanted to understand you. I'd stare at you. I think the reason I kept coming and I, I was drawn to you is your spirit. I truly do believe this. And for folks that are out there, um, by the way, my home group meets once a week, but we, we take a meeting into the detox on Sunday nights into the to uh, Samaritan House where we met Tom four years ago last April. Uh, on Wednesday nights now, uh, we get together for a potluck on Tuesday nights. We also love hot springs. We go, uh, we go up to the hot springs together on retreats and stuff all the time, but... Um, the reason that came to mind is when we're at detox talking to those people there, I don't think they hear our words. I think they feel our spirit. The message of depth and weight that can reach these people is not a message of words. It's of who I am. That's the message of depth and weight. That's just my belief. Um... In any case, I came, I came to AA, I got a sponsor, I became an AA poster child. I did uh, everything they said to do, as hard as I could, because I was willing to do anything to be someone other than who I was. I couldn't, uh, I couldn't stand being who I was anymore. I emptied ashtrays, I, I, hell, I was treasurer of Denver Area Central Committee of Alcoholics Anonymous at nine months sober. I was involved. They threw a first birthday party, and there's four cakes, three cakes, and ice cream, and a bunch of people, and they're telling me how I'm just a spiritual giant, the coolest thing they've ever met, blowing hot air up my ass, and it's wonderful, you know? <laughs> within, a, within, a, within two weeks, I want to blow my brain. <laughs> I'm serious, guys. I was stark raving sober. I had not recovered from alcoholism. This book here talks about recovery. It doesn't talk about sobriety. If all you have to offer me as an alcoholic is sobriety, go pound sand. 
Sobriety is the most painful condition an alcoholic can be in. That's the reason I drank. I didn't like being sober. I got to have something else. I have to recover. And God bless my first sponsor. He didn't know how to help me do that. He sponsored me out of the 12 and 12 and left a bad taste in my mouth for that book. I, I, I urge you to read what this book describes it. It calls it an interpretive commentary on the AA program by one of the co-founders. There aren't directions to the steps in it. The directions to the, the program of Alcoholics Anonymous are in this book. And, and I don't know that you need any other one. I haven't in 12 years. Um, I was blessed with the grace to find a man who had recovered from alcoholism using the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous. His name was Don Pitty from Aurora, Colorado. I chased him around for uh, about three weeks, listening to him talk different places, maybe a month. I went up, I was booking a little speakers meeting, because I was a poster child, you know. I'm serious, I was in it with both feet. And uh, he spoke at this little meeting that I was booking, and uh, afterwards I, I asked him if I could buy him a cup of coffee. And he said, sure. And... Um, we're standing there in the half measures lounge of this clubhouse, you know, and um, <laughs> that's what we called it. Um, I said, I need help. He looked at me and he just started laughing. He said, yes, you do. <laughs> See, it's all over me. Fourteen months removed from the bottle and the booze is all over me. It's all over me. I'm, I'm, you could see it. I see it with people today. Then I tried to sell myself to him, because that's the only thing I need to do. I've done this, and I've done that, I've done the steps, I've done the, you know. And he looked at me and he gave me the second piece of truth. He said, John, we can't read the book by ourselves. Then I tried to tell him why I was talking to him. I said, there's something in your eyes, there's a light, a sparkle or something. And he gave me the third piece of truth. He said, John, that's simply the presence of God, that's all. We negotiated a deal. The two requirements that I agreed to was I'd be regular in my appointments and that he would do this with me if I in turn would do it with another. He lived in what I call Saudi Aurora. And uh, if you know Denver Metro, Aurora is way east. I was living way northwest. And I would drive over there every Sunday and we'd sit in two easy chairs and he'd read this book to me, start at the very front, and he'd give me his take on things and we'd share experience and together we would do whatever it said to do. If it asked a question, we'd answer it. If it said to write, we'd write. If it said to pray, we'd pray. In the course of that, I recovered from alcoholism. I can't tell you the date. Somewhere in there. Had some marvelous experiences. Along the way, I learned I'm an alcoholic. He's powerless over drugs. Um, I can't leave that one. He gave me a little set of questions. He said... Suppose you know that you're going to lose your health, your job, your car, your family, your house, maybe your very life, if you do that first big old fat line. Now my experience and what I knew was I could keep away from that line because I quit doing cocaine on my own. He said, okay, suppose you've already done one. 
And all those things are true. <laughs> my answer is hell no. I'm going to do all of mine, as much of yours as I can get, and we're going to go find some more. Same question with the bottle. Drink sitting there. I know I can lose all this stuff. Can I stay away from that first drink? I'll drink it. There's two things that make me an alcoholic. I gave you this strange mental blank spot. Remember I told you I got in that DUI? I was trying not to drink. I was really trying not to drink. I hadn't even started these little, the little class. I hadn't gone to court. I was trying not to drink, and a buddy got married. Bob got married. A gal named Sue. And my old lady was with me. Now, she's, she's pouring the booze out if she can find it, right? And if she sees me drinking, she, chances are she's just going to turn and walk out of the place. At the very least, she's giving me the hairy eyeball. Um, so I'm not going to drink. We go over to Bob and Sue's wedding. I am not going to drink. They come around with a, pl- a tray of champagne. You know what my head says? It's just champagne. <laughs> I don't even like champagne. You can't get drunk on champagne. It's a toast. Just Sue. Oh, oh, wait, wait, wait. Bob. <laughs> Next day, I'm on the phone with another buddy of mine, and I'm trying to find out what I did because I was kind of—I'm a blackout drinker, guys. I'm a pass out or blackout, um, and I don't—you know—I get up and pee in the punch bowl or something. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know what I'll do. The big book talks about that. It says parallel with the same thought runs an insane thought. Parallel means they don't meet. Same thought is I'm not going to drink. Insane thought is, I don't even like champagne. You get it? The insane thought always wins out, and I drink. There's a strange mental blank spot. Parallel reasoning, being of two minds almost. It's like one mind is, no, we're not drinking tonight. Yeah, we are, yeah, we are. Oh, no, yeah, yeah. You had that? What that means if you're like me, is you're insane when it comes to the first drink. That's harsh words. But how else do you explain, I roll my car, this was prior to that one, I've I've had a checkered history with the law and driving and all that stuff. Um, I roll my car that's just paid off, I get another DUI. The old lady comes and bails me out on Sunday morning. She isn't talking to me. I'm definitely out of the big bed, you know. That's out of the question. <laughs> I, you know, I, there's, drinking is just, what I'm getting at is drinking has just caused some horrible problems for me, right? And it's Sunday, and 2 o'clock rolls around and the Broncos are on and you can't watch the Broncos without a beer. Right? That's insane. Some nights I, I roll my car. Some nights I, I, heck, I hit your car and drove off. Some nights I got my ass kicked. I showed up in a lot of beatings when I was drinking. I called them fights at the time. <laughs> Come on, you guys done it? Throwing the punch. You get drunk and mouthy if you're like me and they... they um, 
I get, I get my tail kicked. I get 86 from bars. Uh, you know, I wake up with the sprinklers on me. I know, where am I? Um, all sorts of bad stuff happens. But that didn't happen every night. Most nights I passed out on the couch. Most nights I went to bed and passed out. Here's the one thing that always happens to me when I have a dream. I get thirsty. Is that you? That's the second part of this disease. First part's up here in my mind. And whatever form it takes, it, it's going to be different this time. It won't hurt me. It's just champagne or we don't even notice. We start drinking and we don't remember. The other part is once I have a drink, I don't know when we're going to stop. It's usually when the insanity passes or you cut me off. Okay, so it's a disease of the mind and the body. I tell you what, if you really, truly understand that, and sometimes finding that out is a tedious process. Even sober, finding that out. We, our, our friend Fred in here, he's a fellow that his business had gone off well in Washington. It's the end of the perfect day, not a cloud on the horizon. He comes back to the hotel for dinner, and as he comes into the dining room, the thought comes to his head, a cocktail with dinner would be nice. That's truth. Hell, it's truth for millions of people tonight. A cocktail with dinner was great. He's an alcoholic, though. So he has a couple. A little while later, he goes for a walk, right? Comes back, oh, a highball before bedtime would be great. Perfectly true if you're not an alcoholic. He has some foggy recollection of the taxi driver picking him up, right? And instead of his old lady at the airport, he goes off on the three-day jag or whatever. He wakes up in the hospital and there's the couple of guys from AA and they grinned at him, you know, he didn't like that too much. What they proceeded to do is cite cases by the dozen and pile on heaps of evidence to the, to, to the effect that he had an alcoholic mind. That process, what process? The citing and piling on snuffed out the last vestiges of hope that he could do the job by himself. That's what has to happen a lot of times in here. We have to come around. We get, you know where these questions are that will really solve this thing for me? <clears throat> They're on page 44. And actually that in page 44 because we've got the doctor's opin opinion before that. So we've got all of these pages up here to lead us to this question. And, and here it is. If when you honestly want to, you find you cannot quit entirely, yo, that's me. Or if when you're drinking, you have a little control over the amount you take, you're probably alcoholic. Yo again. But we have to go through this, many of us, because we're hardheads. We always th we think there's going to be an out. And I tell you what, I, I don't know, you, you guys sitting here, I didn't get here with any bullets left in my gun. I shot all the angles. They talk about the last house on the block. If this thing wasn't going to work, I could not drink again. I could not drink again. I would have been one of those people that had to make the supreme sacrifice because I could not face it anymore. I could not do it any longer. Now, in the course of doing these steps, I've had uh, just some tremendous experiences. Uh, I learned I, I had supreme, superior sponsorship. I don't know that I could have had a better sponsor than Alcoholics Anonymous. My sponsor was just an incredible human being. And most importantly, he loved me and he never lied to me. He just, uh, he was what he was, and uh, he had a lot of experience with us, and 
Um, he also sponsored me as far as this, this recovery thing. He sponsored me through the other two parts of our program because it's all part of our program. We have the recovery program, and then we have the traditions that make up our unity. We have the concepts that, that make up our service structure. And the way he explained it to me, he asked me a simple question. He said, have you ever seen a milk stool? Now, most people that are younger than me have never seen one. Has anybody ever seen a milk stool? How many legs do they have? Three. They're always three. You know why? Three legs won't rock. You set them on any kind of ground, three legs won't rock. And when you're milking, you don't want to scare the cow. If you go out there with a four-legged stool, it might rock. In fact, it probably will. And you're scared. You want the cow to be calm. If all you have is recovery, you got one leg on the ground. Why don't you get some more down there? Get something solid under you. Now, I was blessed with a full-service sponsor. I've heard people, I had a gal from uh, New York call me up a while back, and she said, uh, do you have any experience with a service sponsor? I said, no. I have a full-service sponsor who took me through all of this. Uh, I was blessed. Um, I don't know how to repay you for what has been given me. Not only have I not had to drink again, I've you know, the killing myself stuff, that, that's way, way gone. I have a life that makes sense to me today. I'll give you one. I'll give you a little hook. I can have one thought at a time, and it can be a quiet one. You ever wanted that? Okay, I can do that. Um, I've been given a life that is so incredible. Uh, this last weekend, uh, Tom and Nick are a couple of my guys. Three of us came over. And, and our, our dear friend Mike picked us up, and we went up to, how do we say it? I can't say it right. Lava. Lava Hot Springs. <laughs> we did a weekend with a bunch of folks from Idaho up there. The Spearhead Group. Not fish. Spearhead Group. <laughs> uh, from over in, um, over west of there, I think. But anyway, we went up and did that. Last year, Tom and I got to come with those same people. We went up to Coeur d'Alene and talked up in Coeur d'Alene last January. Um, down at Fellowship of the Spirit South last April. I'm, I'm going to talk there April 12. Um, people, here's one. People uh, flew me over to Ireland to come do a weekend with them. And I, they wouldn't let me pull my wallet out. And um, just the most marvelous people in the world. And what I'm getting at is Alcoholics Anonymous has given me a life that uh, I never, ever, ever could have possibly dreamed of, and which I am, and I'm happy and joyous and free. Now, you remember back when I told you that I was sitting in that room on Monday night, Wednesday night, Tuesday night, or Thursday night, Friday night, all day Saturday, all day Sunday, couldn't understand anything you said? You know the first thing I heard? The first stuff that made sense. It was a guy, and he may be in here. I wouldn't recognize him if he walked up to me. Was sitting across the room in this meeting, and he said, 
if you are alcoholic, you never have to drink again, and you can be happy, joyous, and free. And I heard him. Now, it took me a while. I just told you it took me a while. If you're just going to meetings and not drinking, and meanwhile you're, you know, kicking the old lady and yelling at the dog or whatever you do, there's so much more. You can recover from the seemingly hopeless state of mind and body, this way you've been feeling, the, the life you've been living. It's there. Um, I didn't think this thing would work for me. I really didn't. I looked at those steps on the wall, and I'm a, I'm a sharp guy. I really am a sharp guy. And uh, I just thought, this has nothing to do with the $300 piece of shit rabbit. You know, my economic <laughs> problems, my wife problems, my job problems, my neighbor problems, my daughter problems. And you kept saying, just do this, just do this. And when I finally, finally found someone to ask and ask the right guy, and, and went through this thing, something changed in me, and all that other stuff went away. Now, I, my life may not make sense to you, but to be honest with you, I don't care. It makes sense to me. And it's a life I, I just, I wouldn't have dreamed of having. I just wouldn't have dreamed, I couldn't have imagined these things. Um, being here tonight, talking to you guys, uh, I thank you so much. I thank these guys in this group that, you know, have the, the faith to put up a, a South Texas peckerwood like me. And, uh, you know, I'm a bed, wet, and drunk, guys. Um, and, and let me talk to you for a little bit. And, and just hope, just hope that somebody out there says, you know, maybe, maybe, maybe this thing will work for me. If it can work for a jackass like that, you know. And... Um, and uh, my experience shows, yes, I can. Yes, I can. It can work for you. And um, you can have, you if you're alcoholic, you never have to drink again. And you can be happy, joyous, and free. Now, I'll leave you with one a little corollary to it, and this is the one that gets people. But we mean business. Thanks, guys. Thank you. Thank you.